Good morning, everyone. And welcome, good morning, to those of you that are with us online this morning. I don't know whether you recognize Susan or not. Susan and her husband, Stephen Beliveau, are cross-pointers. Uh, she's a teacher at Ormoncto High, and she did the, the good news segment this morning. Isn't that an awesome thing, that Jesus Christ took the punishment for the sins that you and I have committed? And when we place our trust in him, uh, the word justified, I heard that defined one time, the word justified, in God's eyes, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that an awesome thing? We celebrate that uh, today. Father, now as we open your word, would you speak to us, one and all? In Jesus' name, amen. So, have you been watching any of the World Series on TV these days? How many would say, yes, I've been watching some of it at least? Well, not that many, okay. How many of you say, no, I have not been watching uh, the World Series? The no's carry the day. Well, how many of you would say, no, I actually had sooner watch SpongeBob SquarePants? Oh, reruns of Happy Days, whatever. Come on, you onliners, come with us now, help us out. Is it a yes or is it a no, or is it watching something else? You ever notice that uh, if you're watching the games or even if you're just a casual drop in and watch a little bit, you ever notice that when a, a runner gets to first base, he always has a chat with the first base coach. Once he gets there and holds up, they kind of come over and they consult. Did you ever wonder? What is it they're talking about? Well, I've done a little first base coaching so I can give you maybe a little insight into what they talk about. Well, here's what they don't talk about. They don't talk about their after the game plans where they might be going out to eat or whatever. And here's something else they don't talk about. It's not on the menu to discuss. They don't, they don't discuss some new idea that the coach might have about running the bases, no. It's the first base coach's job to go over the obvious. His job is to make sure that the runner is aware, at that moment, is aware of what he ought to have known anyway, like how many are out. Makes a big difference, you know, whether there's none out or one out or two out. What to do? Watch, just remind him what he ought to do if the ball's hit on the ground. Reminding him of what he ought to do if the ball's hit in the air. Now, good teams communicate with another, one another. They go over the obvious facts, making sure that everyone is on the same page and concentrating on the fundamentals. So this morning, I want to take you back on this last Sunday of our sermon series on discipleship. I'm going to take you back to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 in his sermon uh, three weeks ago, Pastor John Sherwood called this verse the secret formula for the church. So here we are in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 again, and these are the timeless words, that being the word title of all of our sermon series for these weeks, timeless words, Jesus speaking, and he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, 
to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus here has his, his, his disciples gathered around him and he looks at them and he says, I want you disciples to go and make more disciples. And, and so the answer to the question and our question for today is simply this, how, how do we, how do you and I go about making disciples? And that means for me to answer that question means that I'm simply today going to go over the obvious. May not be much new here, may all be a reminder, it's so obvious. So come with me now, I want us these next few minutes to look at the five best practices of those original disciples, the things that they did in the, in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts, of course, is the history, the story of the early days of the church. So here we are, the five best practices of those original disciples and of disciple makers today. Are you ready? If you and I are serious about making new disciples, we must practice these five things. Here they are. Here's number one. Invoke the help of the Father. Invoke the help of the Father. In the opening chapter of the New Testament book of Acts, just before Jesus left the planet, he said this to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and you will tell people about me everywhere. Then Jesus left. And what did the disciples do next? Acts chapter 1 verse 14 tells us what they did. It says this, they all met continually, together continually for prayer. What did they do? They invoked the Father. They appealed to the Father for help. They prayed. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit did come. The Holy Spirit filled them all, and the rest of the book of Acts tells the story of how those early disciples went into the known world of that day making new disciples. They indeed did go everywhere. And the interesting thing is that as we read through the book of Acts, uh, before they any and every outreach attempt, before any missions trip that they took, before any and every attempt to make new disciples, they always did this. They prayed. And some of the prayers went like this. This one is recorded in Acts chapter 3. Oh, Father, fill us with your spirit. What are they saying? Father, I can't do this on my own. Fill me with your spirit. Would you give us direction? Would you give us power? Would you give us the courage to speak about you with boldness? And God answered the prayer of those early disciples every time. Hear me this morning. You pray a prayer like that. And I promise you this moment that he will answer your prayer every time. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Send someone across my path this day. Give me the opportunity to talk to them, to love them. Give me the courage and the words to speak. You pray that prayer, 
he will answer that prayer. If you and I as disciples are going to successfully make new disciples, prayer is absolutely essential. One of the habits that I have that amuses me but is of considerable annoyance to my family or anyone else who might travel with me actually is this. I kind of enjoy driving with the gas light on. Anybody with me on that? Anybody out there online? You enjoy driving with the gas light on? Well, I don't know why I do, but uh, think about it. It's kind of exciting. Uh, there's, there, it's like an adventure waiting to happen. There's suspense. Am I going to make it to the next station? Uh, as I mentioned, none of my family seem amused by this habit of mine. A couple of weeks ago on my daily commute from here back home, I left here, didn't notice what the gauge was saying when I left here, and I was, it's about a 70 minute commute to my home, and I was below Oromonto when I first noticed that the light was on. Now, if you're, a, if you're a gaslight on driver, if you kind of enjoy the, uh, you're not allowed to turn back. I mean, I was just below Oromonto and I could have reversed and gone back three or four minutes, but we don't do that, us drivers with gaslights on. So I thought, come on, it's only 50 kilometers, it's only a half an hour to Wellsford, and what an exciting drive it was. Now I suppose one of these days I'll get caught, didn't get caught that day. Here's my point. I think sometimes we as believers operate with our spiritual fuel low light on. And as a result, a, a lack of time with the Father, a lack of prayer, and, and, and when we think about speaking to a neighbor, speaking to that person that we work with, whoever that we know clearly is not a believer, we just don't have the power, the passion, maybe the desire isn't really there to get into the disciple-making business. So I remind you, the first thing I want to remind you this morning, that prayer is the fueling station. It's the beginning point. It was for the disciples. It is for us. We must, Father, help me. I can't do this. Invoke the help of the Father. Disciple James in his book, way over to the end of the New Testament, puts it a refreshing way. Here's how he says it. Do you need help? Ask the Father. He loves to help. He loves to help, and he always helps, and it's a prayer he always answers. So there are five of these best practices of the disciple makers. Here's number one, invoke the help of the Father. Here's number two. You will need to instill key disciplines in your life. I want you to notice the habits of these early disciples, and I take you to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it reads this way. They, speaking of the disciples, joined with other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me just pause there a moment. That's their equivalent of reading the Bible. They didn't have the Bible printed as we do today. This was the days before uh, printing press, of course. And so they got God's word from the mouths of the apostles when they spoke. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And there's an element that's sorely missing for some of us in this day. We feel, 
we feel that we should perhaps not gather in small groups, but they, they discovered they needed that fellowship. We really do need each other. And they shared in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. Let me just remind you this morning that these are key disciplines that give us focus and, and they give us support. They give us encouragement and they infuse us with passion and power. They even give us a sense of urgency and help prepare us to go out and make disciples. They're absolutely vital. Uh, of course, all of you are aware that the Olympic Games scheduled a couple of months ago were, were canceled, the 2020 Games. And uh, they were to have taken place, of course, in uh, Tokyo. Why were they canceled? Well, if I can tell you why they were canceled in a word and a number, the word is COVID and the number is 19. That's why they were canceled. The games were postponed till next summer. Someone was telling me the other day that now they've shifted them again from next summer. But there's two reasons why the games were canceled. Number one, to make the event safe and secure for spectators, the, the hundreds of thousands of people who would attend those games. Here's the other reason. The games were canceled because they, they had to make it possible, they want to make it possible for athletes to play in the best possible condition. And you see COVID has shut down facilities that athletes desperately need. Gyms, tracks, rinks, access to trainers and coaches. And these athletes, as you no doubt know, train every day, some for a minimum of four years, and some even for eight years or longer. Some spend a good part of their lifetime comparing to compete in those games. And the daily disciplines that they commit themselves to are absolutely vital. Hear me today. The same is true for you and for me. There are key disciplines that for you and I are absolutely vital that empower us and motivate us and give us the passion to be in the business of making disciples. Pastor Dave in his sermon last week mentioned the top three disciplines. These would be the inputs that you and I would participate in to make us more effective disciples. And number three was regular corporate worship, which you're doing here today which you're doing online today. Number two was fellowship and sharing in small groups, which we already mentioned, probably lacking somewhat in these COVID days. But here's number one. The number one key discipline for disciples is reading the Bible. Did you know, I think Pastor Dave mentioned this, did you know that when a disciple reads the Bible four times a week, he or she is 200% more likely to share their faith. You must instill these, we must, all of us must instill key disciplines in our life. So there are five of these. The first one, invoke the help of the Father. Number two, instill key disciplines in your life. Here's number three, invest in the lives of potential disciples. Now, I, I mentioned that this is, these are, these are a reminder, these are reminding all of us of things we already know. Invest in the lives of potential disciples. 
All through the book of Acts, we see those original disciples intentionally and consistently putting themselves out there where they would encounter hungry, searching people. Let me give you one example. Acts chapter 8, disciple Peter, uh, Philip, excuse me, was in Samaria preaching when verse 26 of Acts 8, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he did, and he meant the minister of finance, the treasurer of Ethiopia. And so Philip was obedient. Now he's walking along beside the guy's chariot, and he hears that the man has a parchment of a bit of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he happens to be reading about the, the prediction of the coming Messiah. Says Philip to the man, do you understand what you're reading? And the man responds and says, no, I don't. Ride along with me and explain it to me. So Philip did, and he told him <clears throat> that this Messiah that Isaiah is speaking about is Jesus. He told him about Jesus. Before the trip was done, they came to a body of water. And the man says, could I be baptized? Could I become a follower of Jesus? And he did. And that... That's the story, not only of Philip, but of Peter, and of John, and Paul, and Timothy, and James, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and dozens, and hundreds of others of those early disciples. They prayed, they asked the Father to lead them to someone, and he did. And then they practiced what I call the bees. Be friendly, be inquisitive, Ask people about their life. Be interesting. In other words, don't focus on yourself. Don't talk about yourself. And be ready. Be ready to talk about Jesus. It's not complicated. Walk across the room. That might be what it involves at times. Walk across the street. Linger in the staff room. Sit on the other end of the park bench where there's a guy over here. Constantly look for ways to, to invest in folks' lives. Rake your leaves. Rake his too. Make an extra banana bread and drop it into a neighbor. Drop in at their yard sale. Go over and admire their new car. Take an interest in their, the sports that their kids are playing. Invite them to check out crosspointchurch.ca. That's our front door, you know. It used to be that the, the way most people are introduced to Cross Point Church was to come to a public service. Now, our best attraction, our front door, is to invite them to crosspointchurch.ca. Most people get to know Cross Point that way. Reconnect with an old schoolmate on Facebook. In these COVID days, I think our tendency is to withdraw. Father, Show me new ways in these days to invest in people's lives. So we're talking about the five best practices. We've covered three. Invoke the help of the Father. Instill key disciplines in your life. Invest in the lives of potential believers. Here's number four. You need to include your story. Uh, some of you are thinking, uh, PJ, didn't you just tell us not to talk about ourselves? Indeed, I did. But if you, if you take an interest in people you're talking to out there and ask them questions and ask about their life, eventually they will ask you about yours 
be ready. Acts chapter 22, Paul the apostle has been arrested in Jerusalem for disturbing the peace. A huge crowd gathered and he asked permission from the arresting officer if he could speak in his own defense. The arresting officer says, yes, what does Paul do? He told his story. He told about his conversion. He told about the day that he met Jesus Christ. Why don't you read it through later today? Acts chapter 22, it'll take you all of four minutes. Now move ahead four chapters. Paul is still a prisoner. He appears before the governor. His name was Festus and King Agrippa. Says King Agrippa to Paul, you may speak in your own defense. What does Paul do? Of course he does. He tells his story again. All of us need to be ready and able to tell our own story in three to four minutes. You have a story. Everyone does. It was a couple of weeks ago we heard Pastor Adam Brewer's story via video. And we all marvel at the marvelous transformation in his life to a drug dealer, to a committed Christ follower. And some of us are inclined to hear a story like that and think, well, my story is so ordinary. Hear me this morning. It's your story. You have a story. I have a story. Can I take two minutes and tell you my story? I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a pastor's home. I heard all the Bible stories from the time I was a, just an infant. And I always, I don't remember a time when I didn't know about Jesus. But when I was six years old, Jesus became real and personal to me. And that was when I repented of my sins. Yes, as a six-year-old, and invited Jesus Christ to come into my life, that's when I trusted him to be my savior. And so I grew up right here in this town, right here in this church. My life was church and Sunday school and kids programs and youth group. I had a bump in the road in high school days when, when a teacher debunked what I believe. He was questioning the Bible and everything I held near and dear, and it was a crisis for me, and I began to doubt, and it made me search out the answer to this question. Why do I believe what I believe? And I began to read after guys like C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell, and I became convinced as a teenager that not only does Christianity make sense, but it is the only thing that does make sense. The next major bump in my life was in my mid-30s when I gave it all up. And by give it all up, I mean I took my hands off my life and allowed Jesus Christ to become Lord of all of my life. My dreams, my future, my family, my finances, my leisure time. It was at, a bit, at age 35 when I became what I would call a fully devoted follower of Christ. And today, I experience peace, joy, fulfillment. Yes, I have my struggles now and then. I battle some doubts and some fears along the way, but life is good. And you know what? We get heaven at the end. That's my story. Telling your story 
when you have occasion is so very important. You ought to be able to, and maybe it'll take practice. It did for me. You, uh, you should, I found myself making notes so that I could clearly articulate my testimony. I just gave you the two-minute version. You ought to be able to do that in two to three minutes. Paul's testimony was greatly used by the Holy Spirit back there in the book of Acts to make disciples. Hear me today. He will use your testimony to draw future disciples to him. So here they are, the five best practices of disciple makers. Number one, invoke the Father's help. Number two, you need to instill key disciplines in your life. Number three, invest in the lives of potential disciples. Four, include your story. And here's the fifth and last. You need to be able to inform them of his story. The first sermon preached in the book of Acts, Peter preached it. Here's the main thought of his sermon. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. All through that sermon, Peter tells Jesus' story. And then you go all the way over to the end of the book of Acts. The last two verses in the book of Acts read this way. For the next two years, Paul, who, by the way, was waiting for his trial before Caesar, expecting a death sentence, Paul lived in his own rented house. He welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God with all boldness and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Hear me, all of us need to be able to articulate clearly his story. Embedded in my memory, oh, so clear is the day when I was a school teacher over 40 years ago, the gym teacher happened into my classroom just after the kids had left to go home. And in mid-conversation, he just blurted out, John, what is this born-again stuff all about? And I was not prepared. And I hummed, and I hawed, and I paused, and I stammered, and I ended up mumbling something vague about my faith and about my church. Not good enough. So here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. Here's his story in as simple a way as I've ever heard it expressed. I have literally shared this gospel. I've done it on with paper and pen on the corner of a newspaper, on the edge of a kid's home, back of a kid's homework, in people's homes, on a napkin at Tim Hortons. You could Google it. Google the bridge. You better put Christian in there. You'll end up on the Westmoreland Street Bridge or maybe Candlestick uh, Park, uh, Candlestick Bridge. Here's the story. Here's the gospel. God wants to have a relationship with us. But all of us have broken that relationship with God. All of us have rebelled. All of us have thought things and said things and done things we know we shouldn't do. And you know what? Down inside of every one of us is a basic awareness that that's so. And we, we instinctively try to do things to bridge the gap between sinful us and a holy God. But nothing works. 
We can never get across that gap, and the news gets worse. The Bible tells us that we're all under a death sentence, and that means that we are destined to spend forever separated from God and all good. But here's the good news. God loves us so much, he couldn't let that happen. So he came down from heaven in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and died on a cross. And that cross that he died on bridges the gap between sinful us and a holy God. And when he died on that cross, he took the punishment, as Susan just explained to her in the story about the judge. When he died on that cross, he took your punishment and mine. When he did that, he canceled our death sentence. One last thing. It is not enough that we just know this and understand it. It's not enough that we just say, well, that's wonderful. That's good. What a great story. We must act on it by admitting that we are sinners and that we have rebelled and by telling God that we want his forgiveness and we place our trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that when we do that, we cross over from death to life. Maybe there's someone here in this room this morning that you've never crossed over from death to life. Would you like to do that today? Someone watching online today would say, Pastor John, I've never made that decision. I've never made that trip across the bridge. You could do it today, whether you're here, whether you're online, by praying a prayer similar to this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. And I believe that you died for my sins, and I turn now from my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and into my life, and I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.